When we started Zoom, our mission was to get tahini into every grocery store shelves and into every home pantry possible. And we're really still set on that mission, even though a large part of our growth has been so foundational in our food service channel. And so we're very focused on expanding our footprint into uh, national retailers and, of course, regional chains as well and facilitating the consumption and the adoption of tahini into more home kitchens. This is C2C, where we cover innovation in the food and CPG business from conception to consumption. Welcome to C2C, everyone. Today, my guest is Amy Seidelman, co-founder and CEO of a neat company called Zoom. Uh, like Zoom, but the letter S like Sam instead, S-O-O-M, Zoom. So welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. So give us the backstory. It sounds like uh, you and your sisters were fresh out of college and you got the idea for this company, Zoom. Tell us what happened. Yeah, I like to joke that we were young and dumb and decided, you know, how hard could it be to start a, a food company? But I was a senior in college when my oldest sister, Shelby, who studied entrepreneurial management in her undergrad, was living in Israel for the year where my sister, Jackie, had been living for a couple years. Jackie at the time was dating her now husband, Omri, and Omri had been in the tahini or tina industry, as they call it, uh, in Israel for nearly a decade at that point. Um, and we were really inspired by the high quality tahini available in Israel, by its versatility and the reverence for its health benefits, and thought, why don't we try to make tahini a more popular ingredient here in the States? And so that's what we've set out to do over the past 10 years, believe it or not. Wow, 10 years. I bet you that time has, has gone by rapidly. Uh, um, yes and no, I'd say, but yeah, uh, I think as all entrepreneurs <laughs> know, um, it's a it's a roller coaster, but wouldn't have it any other way. So, so for those of our listeners who are not really all that familiar with tahini, why don't you give some background on that, and also talk to us about your company's mission and your business model? What you know, what makes you different, and why 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 does the world need another offering in this space? Yeah, I appreciate the question. So tahini, for those of you not familiar, is an ingredient made from 100% roasted and pressed sesame seeds. It's probably most familiar in the American market for its use in, to make hummus. And tahini, to describe it, is thicker than olive oil and thinner than peanut butter, but can be used for both in savory and sweet recipes. So it's really a fat component in recipes. It also provides a really sophisticated and unique almost nutty sesame flavor profile. And actually, when we evaluated the market 10 years ago, what we found was that there weren't a lot of tahinis available in the States. Uh, if you could find it, it was on the bottom shelf of the international aisle with dust on the lids. And those people that were purchasing it were really only using it to make hummus and likely throwing away the jar six months later when they found it in the back of their fridge. And we realized there are really believe that with high quality tahini, you know, an appreciation for where the sesame seeds grow and, of course, manufacturing processes, that tahini could be experienced and appreciated for far more than just hummus, uh, given our efforts to 
educate the American market about what it is, the health benefits and its versatility. So we're really on a mission to stay passionate about Tahimi, to be, you know, proactive with our customers in terms of consumer education. And of course, to not only provide a high quality product, but also high quality business and relationships as it relates to infiltrating more kitchens with this ingredient. Mm-hmm. And um, what's the feedback from your customers on your products versus other offerings in the segment? Most of the feedback is that the quality of the flavor and its consistency as well is superior to the tahinis that were available on the market, especially 10 years ago when we got started. The sesame seed that Sum currently makes our tahini from is from Ethiopia. And it's really revered internationally for its unique nutty flavor profile. It's less bitter than other sesame seeds and also its creamy consistency. The ratio of the tahini oil to what we call, you know, sesame meat is far superior. So it might separate, but it's easy to reblend and make homogenous again. So chefs in particular, whether professional, you know, in terms of our food service partners across the country or at home cooks as well, they appreciate its unique flavor profile and its ease of use because of its creamy consistency. Mm, Excellent. And um, you mentioned chefs. So talk to our listeners about your distribution channels. You know, is it uh, is your business primarily in stores? Is it primarily food service? Uh, You know, where where are you getting your product out to? Yeah, uh, great question. We've had an omni-channel sales approach really since day one, but a large majority of our sales comes from what we call our food service channel. So that's selling to restaurants across the country, of course, with a network of distributor partners in many regions, um, small manufacturers, meal kits, fast casual chains. So 50% of our revenue is coming from more bulk sales of our tahini. And actually about 30% of our revenue comes from online sales. So selling to uh, direct to consumer on our website or a large percentage of that is on Amazon. Since Zoom didn't have the resources to be in stores, we wanted to be able to reach at home chefs and where we found the best market for that was actually on Amazon pretty early on. And finally, of course, we're distributed in retail stores, but we're really just getting going in terms of our growth and distribution in that channel. So we've been distributed regionally for many years, I would say, you know, seven, eight years, really, since the start of Zoom and and are now just growing nationally. We launched with Whole Foods nationally in May as our first national retail partner. Congratulations. Uh, It's fantastic. You're in Whole Foods. Um, So any words of advice to our listeners on, you know, after you've got your product out there, how you expand to retail store shelves, uh, shelves rather? Has it been a challenging process? Have you learned anything along the way? You know, it's a great question. My prerogative as it relates to retail is the more you can drum up demand before reaching the shelves, the better. As many people likely know, retail is such a resource intensive channel um, through trade spend and merchandising and brokers. Um, It really costs a lot in order to reach all of those people through the shelves that you need, through the doors that you need and the 
velocity to warrant to stay on the shelves. So the more you can create demand before hitting shelves, that's been really valuable to Zoom. You know, being able to validate our brand with very accomplished and influential chefs across the country has contributed to that. That's also contributed to more traditional food media about Zoom, which has then, you know, allowed people to purchase our product via our online channels, in particular Amazon. And so having that omni-channel approach as it relates to strategy of both distribution for revenue, but also validation of the brand has been very beneficial to our growth strategy. Yeah, that's an interesting piece of advice. So sounds like you believe your product because it's it's Ethiopian sourced, has a different, better flavor. Sounds like you've sold chefs on that. You've been active on social media. You've also, with consumers, have you also been working, you know, on, on things like recipes and things like that to help get the word out? Yeah, exactly. So on our website, you can find hundreds of recipes of how to use tahini and also our sweet spreads. We have a delicious dark chocolate sea salt tahini that uh, mm. really is just an amazing treat. I'm excited for Ooh. you to taste it. Um, I got to try that. Yes, yeah, <laughs> are, are really important as it relates to consumer education. You know, of course, we want somebody to feel inspired to purchase tahini once. But what we really believe in is giving them the tools to be able to use it again and again, because it is such a nutritious ingredient. It really does provide a lot of value into your cooking repertoire, the more comfortable that you get with it. I even had the opportunity to write a cookbook. It's called The Tahini Table, and it has over 100 recipes, really unique recipes of how to use tahini um, all throughout the day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, desserts. It's really amazing. Once you get comfortable with the qualities of tahini and how to use it for cooking, you really feel like you can put it in almost anything. The tahini table. And so how does tahini and sesame seeds, how does this play into consumer trends these days, whether it's for healthy eating or uh, trying out, you know, new flavors and new experiences? How, how does that all leverage for you? Yeah, that's been one of the most compelling reasons that we've stayed so dedicated to the ingredient. You know, even in our market research a decade ago, Tahiti was consistent with several dietary trends and preferences like nut-free, uh, of course, paleo it fits into. And today, with the rise of plant-based cooking and, and vegan alternatives, tahini is a great substitute for dairy and even eggs and recipes. And so it's amazing how the composition of tahini and its unique qualities makes it a great substitution for several trends, um, continuing, of course, with the nut-free trend, uh, paleo, vegan eating. I think um, something that was really compelling, especially around COVID when people started cooking more, is that they were looking for familiar and comforting foods, but also new foods. Um, and tahini fit really nicely into that pocket of consumer behavior, especially in the early days of COVID. And we saw demand for tahini as it relates to both in-store velocity and our sales on Amazon rise exponentially. And I think it's because as an ingredient, mm. it really does hit a lot of preferences of people's, um, you know, cooking interests. Mm. Mm. 
The Tahini Table sounds like a, a, a neat book. Check it out, listeners. Um, and 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 let me ask you this, uh, Amy: How did you come up with the name for the company and the product? Sure. So Sum Sum means sesame in Hebrew. So we came up with the name Sum Foods, really inspired by the sesame seed itself. Terrific. And last year you went through a, a rebranding exercise and introduced some new uh, some new SKUs. So talk to us about what that process was like. I, I assume that uh, I assume that was difficult and challenging, but did it work out in the end? It did. It was an important time and transition for Zoom. You know, being so heavily based on our food service side, the reality is, is that the brand just doesn't matter as much. Chefs don't care what your bucket looks like. They need a reliable product. And it was really a kick in the butt from COVID and our rise in consumer sales, both the velocity and on shelves and online that made us realize that it was now or never to address our opportunity as a CPG brand, right? To really reach more consumers. And the brand that we had created that was primarily focused on food service just wasn't fitting the quality or look that we wanted to present as we approached a more national distribution opportunity. So we use the validation and you know shift from COVID to accelerate our plans and to uh, bring on the right people. Of course, you know hiring the right marketing person on our team really helped us to facilitate that rebranding project. Choosing the right rebranding partner, we worked with Pulp and Wire, an amazing firm out of Maine, um, actually for the rebranding project because we really wanted to position Zoom as more of a consumer looking brand, um, which was not being reflected in the way that we looked before um, embarking on this project. So it's been great for us. It's really exciting to go into a grocery store and see your product on the shelf and feel proud about how it looks. You know, in the past, we've always been proud of the quality of our product and of course its performance and culinary needs. But to like the way you look and, you know, your website, it's just um, it's an even more rewarding, I think, um, opportunity in, in this stage of Zoom. Mm, well, that's excellent. So you talk about how certain tailwinds from the pandemic helped you. Did you have some challenges, though, on the restaurant or food service side of your business? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it really speaks to the importance of an omni-channel sales approach. Of course, in March of 2020, we had purchase orders canceled. We had restaurants not ordering for us from us, you know, uh, inventory that we're projecting to last us a couple months. We're now projecting to last us over a year. It's one of the benefits of having a shelf-stable product. It really alleviates that risk of uh, disruption to your supply chain like that. But the omni-channel nature of our strategy is what saved us. So even as restaurants shut down, our Amazon orders increased, our in-store orders increased. And so the needs of the team shifted a lot during COVID as well. You know, we went from one warehouse employee to four warehouse employees at the peak of our uh, opportunity for selling, you know, direct to consumer via our, our, our online channels. And so... Exactly like you said, there were challenges in some channels and opportunities in others, and it really validated the need to have 
that stability as it relates to a diversification of your distribution opportunities. Hmm. So let's talk about uh, another hot topic these days, supply chain issues. Um, lots of folks throughout food and CBG have had disruptive issues come up with the global supply chain. Are, since you ha- have focused so exclusively on Ethiopia, have, have you ever had supply chain issues there? Yeah, so our supply chain, it actually goes, the sesame seeds are from Ethiopia but our tahini is manufactured in Israel. And so all of our importing is coming directly from Israel. And so whether there were delays at the port in Israel or delays in the port in New York, which is where we import to, we were experiencing holdups, but because of the nature of both our the shelf stability of the product and also uh, cash projections and you know payment, um, payment terms with our manufacturer, we were able to overcome those potential threats by ordering more product at once in order to make sure that we stayed in stock when there could be a disruption to the importing or to the supply chain. So we were Mm -hmm. really able to mitigate the risks um, and we're able to get through COVID with very few out of stocks actually, none on our core SKUs of tahini in terms of our size of buckets or uh, retail jars. Our challenge was actually in the growth of our um, secondary product, uh, our dark chocolate sea salt. There were times when we sold much more dark chocolate sea salt than we were anticipating. And so those were the skews where we ended up uh, with slight out of stocks and challenges in our supply chain. But generally, you came through pretty well, it sounds like, with the disruptions. And I assume assume you're using a co-manufacturer in Israel? Correct. Yeah, we work with a contracted manufacturer in Israel and have worked with them over the years to develop this quality and quantitative standards for our tahini in order to uh, provide the tahini to our chef partners and, of course, the expectations of consumers now as well. So, 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 so many folks in the industry, you know, uh, have to rely on commands. It's critical, but there's also a lot of challenges that go along with that. So what can you share in terms of the challenges and how you've addressed those in that command partnership? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, working with a co-manufacturer, the opportunities are that you can reserve your resources for sales and marketing, which was a, a big part of our decision to go this route, right? In order to validate the opportunity for tahini as a category in the States, we didn't want to tie up too much capital, especially as it relates to um, um, the manufacturing of the product itself. The challenges like you've been referring to is then you give up a little bit of control. But as long as you're able to articulate and to manage expectations of what you need and what they should be providing, I think you're able to eliminate some of those uh, control risks um, just based off of good communication and relationships, uh, just like anything in life, clear expectations as well. But being able to validate especially a newer or emerging product with a co-manufacturer as opposed to investing in it yourself has been a big strategic win for Zoom as it relates to our efforts in making tahini a more popular ingredient in the States. So at mm-hmm. this point, I still even wouldn't do it another way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you've been doing this for 10 years. What can you share 
in terms of your growth curve? Uh, has it been pretty linear? Did you have an inflection point at some point? Uh, and, and what were the factors that impacted your growth throughout the years? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it was really exciting. I mean, for the first six years, Zoom grew 100% year on year. We were really hit our stride as it related to the adoption of Israeli and Middle Eastern cooking and ingredients, um, the rise of tahini as it relates to nut butter alternatives and, you know, this plant-based movement as well. And that was very exciting. What ended up disrupting that growth pattern was actually a, a really challenging voluntary recall that we had to participate in. It was with a previous co-contracted uh, manufacturer that we worked with, and I can go into details for a long time about how Sum's product was tested and safe, but because of the decisions of other people in our supply chain, we had to participate in that recall, and that was really debilitating. That was um, at the end of 2018 and really hindered our growth through 2019. And what's interesting then is that even after recovering from that challenge in 2019, then COVID came, right? Early, you know, mm. or the end of the first quarter of 2020. So Zoom has been working really hard to continue to grow. And we're really proud of the fact that we have the past couple of years, Zoom has grown about 40% year over year. Um, and it's really been a testament to our omni-channel sales approach the adoption of tahini in terms of uh, American consumer preferences and also our resiliency, I think, and, and management decisions. So even with that initial organic growth or not just organic growth, really hardworking growth and the challenges that came through 2019 and 2020, we're back on track and growing at a really great pace again. Hmm. Congratulations on all your success. And, you know, of course, the larger you get, it's the law of large numbers, right? So percentage-wise, it's 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 hard to keep up 100% growth, but a lot of people would kill for 40% growth. Right. So congratulations on that. So let's let's pivot to the future, Amy. Um, you know, if you you've done a lot of studying of consumers and connected to them through recipes and so on trends in Middle Eastern cooking. What what do you see as some of the emerging trends as we look forward? One of the things that's been most eye-opening to me, especially over the six months, is that trends are one thing, but the most important aspect of consumer behavior is that a product provides value to them and that value matches their expectations of what they're getting out of it and ultimately, right, is still affordable. So the product has to be good and good enough to deserve whatever you're charging for it. And that consumer needs to be able to afford your product, right? Even though people might have values as it relates to sustainability or animal welfare, at the end of the day, most consumers are buying the products that they and their families like to eat and they can afford. And having that perspective has really given me a new appreciation for what products, you know, I care about putting out into the market. At the end of the day, um, I'm not, I, I, tahini will maintain itself as a product that adds value to people's cooking and fits within their budget. And as long as that's the case, then I really see a bright future for tahini um, as opposed to some of the more trendy products that we see come and go over the past 
couple years, 10 years, and might even try it themselves in the, in the next few years to come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm here with Amy Seidelman, who's co-founder and CEO of Zoom. So, Amy, what can you tell us about the future for Zoom? What, uh, what things are you working on or, you know, what projects do you hope come to fruition in the future? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, you know, when we started Zoom, our mission was to get tahini into every grocery store shelves and into every home pantry possible. And we're really still set on that mission, even though a large part of our growth has been so foundational in our food service channel. And so we're very focused on expanding our footprint into uh, national retailers and of course, regional chains as well, and facilitating the consumption and the adoption of tahini into more home kitchens as opposed to the strong foundation that we have in in food. So we've got a great team working on our retail sales distribution strategy, and of course the consumer adoption of tahini into more and more of their cooking. So with that rebrand that we did, and at this point almost a year ago, which is hard to believe, we're really excited to keep growing our consumer channels as it relates to getting into more grocery stores, having more people buying tahini, buying soom and bringing us into their homes and their culinary preferences. And also, of course, um, having the opportunity to purchase us online if that's where people continue to shop. All right. Sounds uh, sounds like you got a lot of runway in the coming years. Um, and so uh, for food and CBD professionals who would like to get in touch with you to exchange ideas or for other reasons, what's the best way to get in touch? Your website or LinkedIn? Uh, how should people ping you? Yeah, I think the best way is through LinkedIn. Um, my name, Amy Zeidelman there, or our website has a direct access to my email as well. But I do have to put the caveat that I'm expecting my third baby. So this is what, the end of August, early September that we're connecting, Gary. And I'll be on a maternity yep. leave for a couple months. So if you don't hear back from me, uh, please, of course, reach out to anybody else in the organization or just wait patiently as I dig myself out of diapers yet again. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations and um, good uh, good wishes for the third baby. Um, so before before we go into close, is there anything else, words of wisdom, advice you'd like to share with our listeners and, and particular advice you would give to your peers in the uh, food and beverage industry? Yeah. Hi. So much has changed over the past six months. I feel like I've just been, you know, listening to podcasts like C2C and, and others for other people's words of wisdom. But I think keeping in mind that, as our father always says, it always takes longer and costs more and making sure that if you plan for that with your management teams or in your strategy, that at the end of the day, in this crazy world of food CPG, it's, it's the long game we all have to be thinking about, not these uh, short wins that can be a little bit less stable. So everybody stay true to our missions and uh, expect that things won't go as we plan. And as long as we can get through all these fires and hardships, I think, um, you know, may we all come out prosperous as it relates to these great endeavors that we have in food CPG. That's good advice. Um, you know, we see companies these days who just want to want to get on a bunch of store shelves and then sell out to a big CPG company three years later. And uh, uh, the long game seems to generally be the smarter play these days. So good advice there. 
I want to thank my guest today, Amy Zeidelman, co-founder and CEO of Zoom. Check out their products. Check out their website. Amy, thanks so much for being on C2C today. Thank you, Gary, for having me. Thanks for listening to C2C, where we cover innovation in the food and CPG business from conception to consumption. Just type the letters C-T-O-C, no spaces, to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbeam, and Google Play.